1: Hi, welcome on to our companion mailbag to the one we did on the West last week. This one will concentrate on the Eastern conference and as is our want, let's get Right to it here, Danny. Atlanta Hawks, four minutes on the clock.
2: Oh, let's start with this one from Dirk Rules Um twenty-two. Do you think Quinn Capella has nearly the same role in Atlanta as in Houston, or do you think he can do more self-creation? Well, I, I think that his defensive role will change more than his offensive role. Because there is another dominant creator, Capella can do can do more pick and roll work. So I think his role offensively might be, you know, it's different, but somewhat similar to what he did on the eighteen nineteen Rocket team before they added Russ and things got complicated for Capella but then defensively the Rockets have been you know under Besdelik have been running this switch heavy system and the Hawks unequivocally do not have the personnel for that
1: no they don't now they could get there maybe you know if hunter and reddish and they get another wing and they have capella and then your only guy you got to protect is trey that maybe it could happen but yeah i mean and they did do more of a conventional system towards the end of the 19 season although in the playoffs against the warriors they again switched everything that year so capella does have experience there but he has been better as a switch guy his recognition has never been unbelievable as a health defender offensively you know part of why the rockets moved on from him you alluded to this was that he wasn't setting a bunch of screens for james harden anymore it's more really about ice so with James Harden or maybe even him going after a smaller defender rather than conventional pick and roll and so Capella will look better I think there the thing he's going to need to work on is the short roll stuff because yes. they're going to be trapping Trey Young a lot making plays but certainly they're not going to be like throwing him the ball in the post and saying that you like he creates the initial opening that's not what he's good at.
2: It isn't. Uh, We can do this one from Andy Carter. Are there uh, any restricted free agents who might surprisingly switch teams this offseason and go to the Hawks? This is something I've been thinking about a little bit. I've been working on their offseason preview, and there's always a challenge in restricted free agency because you functionally, to have a chance at a player, you almost definitely have to overpay them, and also the other team can't really like them as much or anything else so i don't see a great fit for that i you know every once in a while i think about them as a malik beasley suitor and they don't really have a place for wancho anymore i think yeah, of wancho yeah as a beasley
1: Ford. and herder are relatively redundant
2: yeah but if they, they just say. weren't sold on herder they could go after beasley for a similar role they have the money yeah. to spend and herder's gonna get he'll 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 be off a rookie scale contract soon enough anyway so if they if they wanted somebody they could do it and bogdanovich would help them but i don't think they're gonna break the bank for him and I think Sacramento is going to match anyway so I don't see a great fit for Atlanta on the restricted market because you're not prying away Brandon Ingram like we, we pretty much know where, know where that's going so I don't and in the kind of lower tier type guys I don't see anybody you know like a let's say like a Chris Boucher or a Yaka Pirtle I don't see any of those players as being particularly good fits for the Hawks the two that linger a little bit for me are uh, D'Anthony Melton. And Chris Dunn, maybe they could put in something on one of those guys and like if they could find an offer and and I think that any offer the Hawks should make, those teams should be willing to match, but maybe there's a little bit of wiggle room at that kind of a level, you know, like a fringe starter backup level. And we've been asked
1: this question many times. I went through a whole podcast uh, about a month and a half ago with Brad Roland, uh, who comes on to talk about the Hawks uh, regularly for us. And we went through a lot of the potential free agents and and how they might fit. So if you, you want more thoughts on that. Uh, two names that I would add for you. Um, although this guy's probably going to get his team option picked up and that's semi-Ogile. Um, sure. and then another one, uh, all right. Yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're, running along here, but, uh, Dario Saric could maybe work out a little bit. He's not a great fit defensively, but what he could maybe provide is they could sell him on the idea that on the second unit, you're actually going to have a chance to do more with the ball and that perhaps he can do, you know, take more of a role like, Similar to the one that he had in his rookie year, where he gets to work in the post a little bit more, use his passing ability, and try to just give it a little more creation on the second unit, and then play more of a stretch role as a four. You know, they don't have great fours there, but I, I don't see that one happening. um Let's do one more really quickly, like a
2: 30 seconder here on the Hawks. Sure, we got a couple of questions about kind of John Collins extensions. Um, like, like what kind of number and for me I'm lower on Collins I think the most he's he can be a valuable offensive player but it just doesn't move the needle that much for me in terms of you can get offense other ways and if he is limited enough defensively that he can't play center then there are a lot of things that you don't necessarily want to do so yeah sure I'd give him starter money solid starter money no problem you know some, something in the 15 to 17 million range sure but I think he's going to ask for more than that and I think he's going to get an, uh, an yeah. offer an offer sheet for, for more than that so if I were running he Hawks.
1: said in an interview, by the way, that he is still like, he, he thinks of himself as a max player. I mean, no.
2: Exactly. So-
1: so that's what they all say but
2: that's what they all say but uh, so i would be more in that range would you offer him more than that
1: yeah
2: yeah i mean no I, th-
1: I think i really especially because we didn't get to see the end of the season we didn't get to see him with capella i mean I w- unless you get a great discount which you're probably not going to uh i would just continue to hold off and you know you got restricted rights on him at the end of that and if he really is that good then you're happy to pay him at the end but i think i think your chances of getting a big bargain for him given the player type and, and the fact that he may not have that many suitors the chance of getting a bargain versus getting locked in on someone who ultimately doesn't fit what you're trying to do that well and i'm not saying he can't but we don't know that uh, I would be more concerned about committing the long term money, even if it is a quote unquote better deal, than I, I would be about like losing out on the chance to get him at a discount now, because I don't know that there is going to be a discount. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to Boston.
2: Oh, we could start just briefly with this one from uh, Dothar, Dr. Golabki, basically asking about how Ennis Canner would fare in a theoretical series against the Sixers and Joel Embiid. I, I think that Canner defensively actually fits somewhat well in that series because... The biggest things that he can't do are defended space and the Sixers don't really force big men to do that as much yeah you know, if Joel's gonna take some threes so be it so yeah. I, I although think, you
1: gotta watch his minutes though because if he's going up against the second unit when Horford is out there as the center then he could get into some trouble
2: yes that that could be true I you kind of want to pick the spots better but I also think that Canner could have some trouble I don't think he would be as valuable offensively because I think Embiid can stifle a lot of what Canner does well Canner won't have the same physical advantages on mb that he does on a lot of centers
1: yeah the the doctor the good doctor galopki uh i don't know if that's like some character references or or, or the guy's actual name but uh do you uh agree we could see or start in that series uh I mean because Tice does kind of get overwhelmed physically by Embiid and you know that the matchup will be okay with Embiid although you know they might be starting Sheik Milton instead of Al Horford amazingly enough I forgot that whole thing if Al Horford comes off the bench for them now so no I I, my guess would be they wouldn't start that way but if they get down in the series and Tice just can't guard Embiid maybe they go there but you know cancer's not unbelievable defensively himself um how, how how would you feel about the Celtics signing Boogie Cousins for the playoffs to add extra big man depth I don't really see what Cousins does for them they have a ton of mouths to feed Cousins when he's out there is always going to shoot a lot uh I think Cantor fills a lot of the roles there anyway you don't know what kind of shape Marcus is going to be in he's going to expect to play so for all well, and I reasons, think I to, would not to
2: put it more bluntly I think Tice is a better offensive center than what I would expect for Cousins coming into the seeding game
1: yeah, and maybe Cousins could be okay in the matchup uh, against Embiid uh, defensively, but I mean he's just he's so rusty at this point, and uh, not. I mean they've had chances to acquire him before when he was on the trade block and they said no so that was like the good version of cousins that they weren't interested in
2: as a pick protection maven i'll do this one from kevin wilson 16 uh would you rather have memphis's pick this year boston can only get it if it's seven or worse or would you rather have it in 2021 i would rather have it in 2021 because a it's a better draft and i don't think memphis has this crazy upside knowing what we know right now like i don't think they're going to be like a top 10 team in the league so i would rather you know I would. Rather roll the dice again on an unprotected pick than get something in the late lottery, maybe the post lottery. uh
1: The Weatherman asks what the Celtics would need to beat the Bucks in a seven-game series. um And number one, obviously, he asks about potential adjustments from Brad teams as well. I mean, number one is the three-point game. The Celtics shooting a lot of them, making a lot of them. The the Bucks going relatively cold at the same time. Like the Bucks do have some vulnerability there. Um, you know, Kemba Walker in particular I mean, he had that forty-point game against the Celtics or against the Bucks earlier. He's one of the more difficult matchups for the Bucks system in the Eastern Conference. So they do have the ability to go a little bit more mobile now with uh, Giannis and Marvin Williams in the front court. I mean, they would have to come up with a way to deal with Giannis. They don't have anybody who can even pretend to guard him one-on-one. I mean, like Semi Ojala might be like the closest guy, but he's he's a, a bit player for them. So I mean, I think they really would have to find ways to confuse him, double team at optimal time keep things changed up enough where he doesn't have the obvious read to set up their best three-point shooters help a lot off of guys like Brooke Lopez and and you know your Pat Connaughton's guys who are kind of you know okay three-point shooters not like George Hill or uh, Bledsoe is in that list too not George Hill not Middleton uh, not Kyle Corver, obviously to the extent that he ends up playing in the series those are the things that come to mind for me
2: yeah I think that's I think you said it well uh, let's go to uh, we got a couple questions we'll do one from Vieira. should the Celtics bet on Tice as their Long-term center Tice is 28 now. Next, the upcoming season will be his age 28. So I think that he's a nice fit, and I don't yeah, think they should the contract him situation. Like basically... By the way,
1: we should we should throw his contract situation yes. is too right.
2: Sure. So Tice is under contract obviously for this year and then he has a i believe it's structured as a non-guarantee for next year let me see what my notes
1: yeah Um, yeah guarantee date of what used to be july 3rd now would probably be october 20th yeah
2: yeah and that's five million dollars obvious pickup in that circumstance and i believe tice yeah it's a non-guarantee not a team option so theoretically if they declined it then it's not like they would get restricted rights or anything like that so they're going to pick that up he'll play on that be an unrestricted free agent in 2021-22 unless they can agree to an extension the most they can offer uh, he,
1: he would not be accessible. extension
2: eligible too short a contract yeah. thank you for bringing that up yeah uh but but to go back to the question like could they should they bet on him I don't I, I think that you could if he's willing to take the money to be a part of it sure I, I but I don't think especially with how he's been overwhelmed as you mentioned by Joel Embiid I think that he can be a part of the rotation and maybe even be the guy who gets the most minutes in the regular season the playoffs but Throwing like 15 million or something like that at him that seems not wise to me
1: yeah especially you know he'll be 29 next year they don't have to make a decision on it anytime soon though uh, yeah. which is nice i mean if he improves his three-point shooting that might change your opinion a little bit but with really and also what happens with gordon hayward as well but given the players that they already have you know upgrading at center not that tice is a bad player by any means but getting a really elite option especially defensively at that position might be something Something that and, uh, their their most obvious way of upgrading potentially.
2: And I've been banging this drum for a little while, but I still think there's a chance it ends up being Robert Williams. That he he's not the perfect fit, but that he ends up being the best option that they can reasonably get. Especially if their war chest, like the the Cel- I think the Celtics' functional war chest is weakening because they don't want to trade a lot of it now. You're like you're not trading Jason Tatum, you're not trading Jalen Brown. That Memphis pick doesn't look as good as we thought it might have at other times in the past. So yeah, I mean yeah. it's um it, it's there are damn good team and i think you would make that trade every day of the week that jalen brown and jason tatum are too good to trade but that does change things
1: yeah i mean they still do have three picks in this year's draft for example i mean that would be yeah. enough to trade for a starter at least you would
2: yeah think. yeah um, if, if but i mean could they get a i think tice is just such a wonderful fit for them in the short term so
1: yeah we'll um quick question here why is everyone so sure that hayward opts in just because there's nowhere for him to get that kind of money i mean you would really to opt out of 34 million for one year i mean you probably got to be getting like at least triple that in terms of guaranteed money I mean if you look at Harrison Barnes for example like what inspired him to opt out and come back to the Kings was basically his present salary like you're you're not going to get or Jonas Valanciunas right like Valanciunas had like a 17 million dollar option he resigns for three years at 15 million like that's the only way that people generally are going to opt out you know so it's it's going to take close to I would say at least 90 million guaranteed to get him to opt out and I don't know who is going to pay that and especially with the crazy amount of uncertainty you also have a, just a much better free agent market overall in 2021 this is his first year coming back off the injury well and, the, know, Ce- I mean, and the celtics yeah. aren't
2: incentivized to do that either lowering their bill in 2020 21 is fine and well and good but they'll have full bird rights in 21 and if they want to bring him back they can't
1: well yeah and moreover the only thing that i would say could change that is like okay they win the championship or something or like you know and he's like a huge star and and everyone everybody it's all kumbaya and they want to commit to him long term but he he's really the guy especially when you're talking about a max coming up for jason tatum the guy that just does not fit into their salary structure man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because
2: So let's go let's go on to the nets um question from bucks and 62 uh the, he, there are a series of questions we could actually I mean there're a bunch of them we could answer we'll go one by one though uh, what should the nets offseason priorities be they i think really thinking about what players make sense I mean, their window, whatever Kevin Durant, however healthy or whatever he is, their window is really the 2021 playoffs and the 2022 playoffs. That's They need to be thinking that short term. And it's do these players make sense in the starting or closing five of that group? And that is not only potential free agents. They really only have the mid-level exception to work with there because they're an exceedingly expensive team, especially if the cap drops, which it looks like it will. And But it's also evaluating their current talent. So it, is Torian Prince good enough to be a starter or closer on that Nets team? If not, they should probably try to move him because that's how that's how near the window is. Same with Karis Levert.
1: Yeah, I agree there. And Danny, we did the whole Atlantic division battle plans podcasts that we can talk uh, more about uh, the nets on this is one that i think is interesting even though it's not specifically nets related uh with the entry to kd based on this season alone after Giannis who have been the two through five best players in the eastern conference this season so i mean this brings you back again it, the to the celtics and the raptors are both somewhat ensemble casts and so they don't, none of them really have a reasonable option for a top 10 player in the NBA. I'd probably say, I mean, in terms of only their value this year, I and mean, you're probably getting down to like Pascal Siakam and- Embiid. Jimmy Butler. Yeah. But Embiid hasn't played that much either. I, I'd say if you want to just say who is the best, not how much value did they deliver at this point, you know, this year, I'd say Embiid is probably your second best player in the Eastern Conference if I had to pick one.
2: Yeah. And Jimmy Butler played 1,800 minutes this year. I mean Tatum Tatum is probably if we're talking value provided he's probably in that conversation Middleton it what was funny is I when I saw this question I looked through my top 10 players and it, it was asked because of Kevin Durant
1: that that's what I'm looking at right yeah. now there's nobody
2: there the, Giannis and KD were the only Eastern Conference players in my top 10 so yeah that's another <laughs> yeah, and important
1: KD didn't play and KD <laughs> so, didn't play um, um uh, yeah so, and you know Trey Young Brad Beal might be in that mix too I mean hey Kyrie Irving if you were actually healthy yeah. would be in that mix Jason Tatum if he kept up his pace from the last month and a half or so certainly would be in that conversation as well um last one
2: here on the Nets yeah we got two different versions of this question about basically um we'll, well we'll do the Jared Allen part first then we can do the second part uh basically asking is if Jared Allen is going to be traded could could this time be be important for that and if the Nets are committed you know part of getting DeAndre Jordan and getting KD and Kyrie Irving whether it was reasonable or not getting them on board was the idea that DeAndre Jordan was going to be an important part of it Having Jared Allen on roster is... It's a luxury. It is it is you know both of us I believe think that he is a superior player and that he will that that the gap between them will only grow with time. But remember, Allen only has one more year before restricted free agency, which means you assume he's going to be properly paid in the banana summer of 2021. If you don't want him as your starter, it, they probably should trade him just from an from a asset management standpoint when we talked about how narrow their window is. It's not what I would do, but I think based on where we're we see things going yeah
1: yeah now i'm not sure who wants to pay a king's ransom to bring in jared allen as their starter on a, a market level contract going forward here um you know i'd like that two-headed monster better if those guys didn't play basically exactly the same right um you know jordan does have a little bit more heft maybe to deal with guys in the post but he's actually never been a very good post defender uh, d- despite his physical tools and you know they both are kind of these drop back centers block some shots finish lobs around the rim you know there isn't a stretch element there isn't anyone who can do any kind of switching defensively so yeah i I mean it's not they're not an ideal mix together but you know i don't see the the deal for jared allen that's really going to make much of a difference it's going to provide more value especially considering his low price uh than he provides and then you also have the chance that deandre jordan could just break down he was he was better this year but he's that's a great spring chicken either break down or just not be any good and so then you you trade out and you're like well deandre jordan and some minimum backup is our center position and you really need and and there's also the hope that jared allen could really evolve into a big time defensive stopper going forward like he does have those type of physical tools and they need that desperately so or, or maybe that he could expand his shooting range he's been shooting corner threes jacking around with that for a while though, never been particularly effective
2: i'll do this one very Wait, quickly move, of yeah. the, the nets with the most oh, to sorry. gain in the seeding games and the playoffs i'm going to go with Caris LeVert, not financially because he's locked in on his contract for three more seasons after this year, but because if the Nets see it the way that we do that they probably need to move him for the best version getting more teams interested in in Levert will lead to a better destination in all likelihood so I think that he has a lot to gain there and financially it's probably Joe Harris just because he's the one who's a pending free agent and if he can make himself indispensable or close to it convince them that he is a starter or at least an important rotation player then he can leverage them through unrestricted free agency in a way that a tepid market might not do for him
1: yeah and then you've also got Dinwiddie who you know this is going to be his chance to run the show on what's probably going to be a playoff team Let's move to charlotte lucas stinson Kupchak recently mentioned the Hornets don't need to use cap space just because they can but that being said what is the biggest roster weak spot that the hornets could realistically address in free agency this offseason and, and you know so we'll presuppose that they're trying to actually really get better for next year uh they as of now are look to have about 27 million in space with the 115 million projected cap flop 6 million off of that if it ends up closer to 109 um but i think actually their offense really low-key there weren't any good on either end of the ball but their offense i think is the thing that they could address maybe a little bit more easily and a really good offensive center instead of Cody Zeller or Bismack Biombo, like you can find good offensive contributors at the center position, and that might be able to bump them up a little bit to just not have the worst offensive leading. Now that player is not going to be any good defensively. Um, for the type of who would be available and would actually come there. Um, but that would be the easiest. But on the other hand, you know, I mean, Montrez Harrell—that's one that Hollinger has uh, floated potentially uh, for them. But you know, do you want to go? real deep into a a nice like three four year contract for someone like that at well over 15 million a year I wouldn't advise that but if they really are just like hey we got to win more games the easiest way to do it I think would just be to get a, a center who could upgrade you know what was one of the worst position groups in the league at the center position
2: I, I'd also mention Christian Wood there I've, I think that he would be a, yes. a, a fit age-wise as well and potentially yeah. he team. might
1: be better for them than Harold too, yeah. due to the age and at least the defensive potential if not yet the production
2: right and I also think that an area where the Hornets could get materially better is if they could find a small forward the problem is this is not a great market to get one the best guys are going li- to likely opt in auto porter notably among them and gallo first of all he's more of a four now so then you potentially conflicts with pj washington but also what yeah i guess that if but if their goal were to get straight up just better i mean i think you could argue that gallo of the gettable players would actually improve their win total the most because they'd be good offensively this one's funny jacob thompson has
1: anyone ever told you that you kind of look like cody zeller well uh I- I take exception to that because as I've told you many times, hymns, hymns, for hymns.com slash cap ed, by the way, uh, if you want to get started with them, uh, but I think uh, my hairline is doing a little bit better than old Cody. The ones that I usually get are Eli Manning is the one I get the most. Andrew Bogut, Michael Phelps, you know, generic looking white dude. That's me.
2: Yep. Uh, from Daniel Logan, can a backcourt of Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier coexist on a good team? No, probably not. I mean,
1: well, I mean, I think they could if you had like they wouldn't be enough to make you the good team. Yeah, if you had like Giannis, if and you MP'd had a bunch or... of other good players, yeah,
2: yeah. It, it, so, so your argument is if they were your let's say your two worst starters
1: yeah i mean not, yeah but it's a along those lines yeah i think like rozier he could like kind of play shooting guard enough like he's got long arms he's relatively scrappy and athletic he's shooting the three well in his charlotte career so he could kind of play as a as a two and graham is a little undersized for what i mean i think your, your defense would be trouble um, you know, I don't. I don't necessarily see that as like the backcourt of the long term future for Charlotte. If that's kind of the thrust of the question.
2: Um, from British underscore Buzz, has Devontae Graham showed enough to earn a contract extension this off season? So Graham non guaranteed for next year, but will assuredly be that will be picked up. And then so then he would be a restricted free agent, absent an agreement in 21-22. Graham is thus eligible. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he's he will thus be eligible because his contract is so low for a Josh Richardson-style extension, you, wherever those numbers end up for the 21-22 season. And that yeah, is the...
1: In, in the lines of like a four-year... 50 million dollar something like yeah, that i mean so it actually i mean it would be once the yeah once the clock ticks over yeah it'd be be right in that range probably if the, especially if the cap's the same this year as it was last year
2: yeah so um, I, I think that that's the type of number this could be an interesting situation where if i were the hornets sure i'd offer that you know like, i don't think that Devonte graham has earned like a crazy like a 20 million dollar a year offer right now but fortunately the hornets cannot make that offer right now so if he wants to be risk averse and sign a richardson this offseason knowing everything that's going on and the uncertainty that can that can come i would make i would make that offer to him sure
1: yeah if you think about some of the other guys you know he's a different player than tyus jones or dalen wright but those guys getting around 10 million a year a little bit less than that you know i think you can argue that graham has done more this year although you know he did drop off as the season went along uh his size is a, a bit of an issue too you know he's probably I ideally would be a backup guard but realistically he's certainly one of the top 30 point guards in the NPA so something along the lines of 10 million a year yeah I think I would probably go with that max extension I might not offer him a player option on the last year but I think I would ultimately make that offer if I were Charlotte
2: let's go to the Chicago Bulls and we can start with a question that got asked a couple of different ways um by Greg Feltz and by NBA Legacy Pod and we'll, we'll do it both ways because it's asked do you think Zach Levine has positive or negative trade value and then do most teams in the league consider him a positive neutral or negative asset
1: i think most would view him as positive although there are fit issues in a vacuum i think you would he'd be viewed as a positive because he probably still does have some upside left to explore as well at least in the minds of people and i i would agree with that i think i would be as just a random team would be willing to consider taking him on if i needed more scoring um but it, it, it's close to me and i uh i suspect you may feel too
2: I have him as a negative not an extreme yeah. one because L- let's
1: say what those numbers are by the
2: way yeah sure 19 point he is a flat 19.5 million per season both 2020 slash 21 and 21 22 and you know Levine's young enough that he could still get better but why he's a negative for me is I think the best role for Levine I don't think that him he he's a high volume offensive player who I don't think is good enough to elevate your offense to a good enough level and he's terrible defensively so the best role for him is really strong bench player best bench player one of the best ones in the league who then can close games when he is doing well and you need him so sort of in a way like what Lou Williams has been at times for the Clippers though I much prefer Lou Williams in that role to Zach Levine and that type of player to me probably more in the 14 to 15 million dollar range so then that would mean that he's negative value but he yeah, he could be better than he has been so that's why it's not a huge a huge difference but i would say that he's more positive around the league just because I value what he does less than the average GM, and I value what he doesn't do more than the average GM as well.
1: What's the best way the Bulls can use Otto Porter Jr. and Felicio's expiring contracts? Felicio is $7 million. Otto Porter Jr. is $28.5 million, which he almost certainly will opt into. And I think Porter, they don't have another way to get a quality small forward next year. He actually finally came back from that foot injury that was so vexing, and he's going to have had plenty of time off hopefully to heal up and be ready to go and play full minutes next season so i think you just hold on to him and because yeah he's overpaid but i mean the whole rationale for getting him was there's no other way to get a three who's actually any good so if the, as they try to make the playoff push go for that maybe they if they don't if it's clear they're not going to make the playoffs they could move porter at that point to a team that maybe a needed someone who could contribute and b had some longer term salary that they wanted to get rid of and hopefully pick up uh, an asset for the combination of doing that and felice and that's basically the same thing just an expiring contract take on salary if in fact that's what they want to do and they do have in the summer of 21 i project them to have about 33 million in space so anything longer that they take on for those two guys could bite into
2: that a a little bit i brought this up with gordon hayward but it's even more pertinent for Otto porter if things work out having full bird rights on him could be useful and yeah he's probably not going to get the that full money as a as a you know like a commensurate salary moving forward but if he could, if he ends up doing fine and you can get him for 15 or 10 or whatever it's going to be, or maybe it's 20, great. You know, there, there aren't that many small forwards in the league, and having a theoretically capable one is really useful i i think you can answer this one because it's it's your connection from from chuck beck zim should the chicago bulls be able to use Sirius as an intro song in the regular season
1: yeah that that of course is that famous uh bulls intro song yeah absolutely i mean that's part of the history of the franchise so yeah I, I think that that should be a lot i mean they've <laughs> they've been doing it for the past 22 years since uh jordan left and they've only had a couple of teams that have even you know approached that same uh type of championship contending level since then but you know it's still the bulls they invented it like it's not like michael jordan came up with the idea to use that song it was someone in their marketing department so yeah i mean it it is it is almost mocking that they use it and you know it's the guy being introduced last is zach levine instead of michael jordan but it Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets. From there as well, I felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything blazers, pants, woundswear, outerwear designed and made for you. Hundreds of high-quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Using our CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE space code to let them know that you came from us is what it is
2: let's go on to the Cavs, fellow central division team a lot of the questions are in a similar vein this should not be a surprise um considering where the Cavs are we'll, we'll do we'll do the one from uh veal coronan who would you rather trade if you were the Cavs, Sexton or garland and if they have a chance should they still select a top guard in this year's in this year's draft i'll answer the second part first and my general rule on this is unless you are sure of something who is directly blocked and you there's another a player who's not only in the same tier but like very very similar level I take the best prospect available and to be abundantly clear neither of the Cavs point guards drafted in the last two years has reached that level so if the best player on my board was a point guard I would take that player at their
1: yeah I mean if I actually were Kobe Altman and I actually were concerned about my potential job security I probably wouldn't take a point guard because point. you just because you it just makes you look bad they'll be all the david Kahn jokes and it's like well, wow you sure did a great job on these last two picks you're picking another point guard again you know it makes you look like a failure but if you just don't want to actually do what's best for the cleveland cavaliers franchise going forward i agree with you ne- neither of those guys has shown enough but you the reality of being a gm is that you kind of buy time for yourself it's like oh you know we got these guys we got a lot of hope in them you know we got these great young prospects like the minute you give up on a prospect as a gm now that's like a black mark on your record and th- that doesn't look good but yeah i mean if i if i'm just like what's the best thing for the Cavs to do as opposed to if i were kobe altman the best thing for them to do would be to draft the best player available no matter who it is
2: so then let's get into the question we could do it the way that sankey underscore red phrased it Sexton or garland or do you see both of them as a part of the future
1: no i don't uh and this is uh, what we've talked about a lot uh, with young teams where say oh hey we've got all these young guys i mean i remember that that was always the, the debate on the bulls real gm message boards in like 2002 and 2003 like oh we got jay williams and we got crawford and we got marcus pfizer and we've got eddie curry and we've got tyson chandler we've got all these guys like who you know we don't even have room for all of them. it's like no actually most of these guys are not going to work out so I, I think knowing which of those two guys despite the fact that garland had a less impressive regular season than sexton did the year before although worth noting that if we had cut sexton's rookie season off at the beginning of march he wouldn't have looked nearly as good as he ended up looking not that that was so amazing but ultimately the inability to distribute at his size for sexton i think is going to consign him to a backup role unless he really changes his stripes in terms of how he plays uh whereas garland despite the fact that he hasn't played as well or shown as much number one, he was coming off the injury where he just had played a little but you know i think he's got not amazing vision but he's got better vision than sexton. he started to show a little bit more ability to get to the basket compared to where garland was earlier in the year when he just had nothing there he started to show some ability to get to some scoop shots and then he's got that like really deep shooting range so the fit as just the player he could be i still like better with garland acknowledging that he has not played as well as Sexton.
2: i'm largely in in the same boat and worth noting Sexton you know so he made 40% of his threes last year 38% this year this year 74% of his threes were assisted so that was a lot of a, a lot of shoot. still good to make 38% of him but the most important thing for a point guard to do is create reliable shots for himself and other people I don't trust Sexton to do that I'm not sure about Garland but I'd rather be not sure than be somewhat confident that a guy is not going to do that so it's it's a weird roll of the dice. Like there is a very high chance that that Garland is worse than Sexton eventually, but I'd rather have the like the possibility that it's a little that that he can get there than somebody like Sexton, where I'm getting kind of resigned to them not being that because he wasn't really that guy as a creator in college either
1: quick question here dan sach uh what is the absolute best case 95th to 99th percentile outcome for colin suxton and you know i guess that would be in lou williams certainly comes to mind but better defensively
2: and worse maybe, as a passer that, probably that
1: sort of a player um okay let's uh, uh so i didn't we didn't have that much time to get into that one yeah. but that, that was just the first thing that came to mind for me uh um, oh what's so it's oh cool. yeah let's let, should we do this one this ross this one from ross sure uh which of the six eastern teams that didn't make the Orlando? Tournament are most likely to make the playoffs next season.
2: Okay, let's lay out the teams and, and work through. We can even we could even take a little time and do rankings. So I,
1: I don't know why this is in the Pistons section because uh, they they would not be high in that list for me.
2: Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. The, the the six teams are the Hornets, the Bulls, the Knicks, the Pistons, the Hawks, and the Cavs. Um, incidentally, yeah, so
1: if the Hawks they, if- and Bulls me are at the yes incidentally the of if they list.
2: if they if the wizards had not been included it would have been them um but they were included so it's not them uh yeah i would go hawks one bulls two. Oh boy uh, am i gonna say hornets three
1: i mean what if it's detroit like blake griffin just comes back or something like i mean the, the knicks also i mean they have space they're going to have a new coach they could potentially take a step forward new management maybe they they make some moves but yeah i I definitely see charlotte new york cleveland and detroit as not having much of a chance for next year um what kind of return can the pistons receive for derrick rose not a lottery pick because that apparently was the shopping price uh, for him back at the trade deadline and that was not available although
2: when you're trying to trade to a contender they generally don't have lottery picks available that's true rose will make 7.7 million next season and then be an unrestricted free agent that is a very easy salary to accommodate that could either be matching salary there are teams with trade exceptions at that number i would say they could potentially get a late first for him i mean those those can sometimes be more available from contending teams and at that sort of a price a good team could be okay using rose as a you know like a kind of that backup that can start in a pinch and can close in a pinch and and that's i think that's a, a beautiful role for rose at this stage in his career
1: uh fleetwood McSee, would detroit investing in a multi-year deal for fred van vliet be a good decision or another ben gordon josh smith style albatross um i don't think it would be that bad just because van vliet has a lot of skills and he fits in i mean i don't think he's you know you're not relying on him to be a big star but he you know he could fit in a, in a lot of different lineups has a lot of different skills even if he's not the best creator on the ball it's like ben gordon for example when he stopped being able to score he had nothing else that he could fall back on josh smith uh was just a really tough fit they brought him in to play the three they had greg Monroe and drummond there as well smith couldn't shoot at all so that the fit really didn't work there either van fleet is always going to fit in uh and but it's also just he doesn't make sense at his age and price range to me for where the pistons are at do you agree
2: that's where i was going to focus is the timeline here so the pistons assuming it like at, if we're looking beyond the 2020 21 season because I don't think they can really put things together it's just going to take them a lot longer maybe Kennard and Sekou Dambuya really turn it on and so it looks like they can be you know maybe one of them is a starter one of them is a good reserve on a team after that still have to figure out what's going on with Blake Griffin still have to figure out center unless they resign Christian Wood so if they can get let's say it takes two, three years for them to figure this out, then Van Vliet's in his late 20s is still going to be useful defensively but also is getting closer to the end of this contract i I just don't see how i think he raises the pistons floor when they don't really need their floor raised and then i'm not sure he moves their ceiling much when they'll be caring more about that
1: so uh, the follow-up is are there any veteran free agents detroit would be shrewd to target maybe someone along the lines of like this year's marcus morris a little bit more of a, a guy who falls through the cracks but has some starting experience on a shorter term deal who they could then maybe flip at at some point you know and maybe they start off trying to kind of get back to the playoffs next year I don't advise that but if Blake Griffin is healthy they got Rose maybe they get another starter on the wing and then if it it, it looks like it's not working out to make the playoffs then you could flip that player you know maybe Mo harkless falls into that category or jay crowder maybe marv yeah jay crowder marvin williams a little bit older for that strategy that then you might prefer well and there's a Um, there's a
2: reason we're naming wings because positional scarcity makes those guys more valuable if you try to try to do that with a center like let's say aaron baines or robin lopez maybe there's a distinct chance that they aren't as good or that those teams just don't need a player like them so yeah i would look at that maybe glenn robinson the third could be an option for this as well
1: uh yeah no way because he was already there and flamed out i mean they gave him that that's they true. declined his team oh no
2: yeah he wouldn't year, sign so. there that's what but
1: i mean like, yeah, in terms of yeah guy and I, I mean i don't think they would want him back either yeah. frankly but um i mean another you know like your dj augustin type of player i mean they need they'll need another point guard uh again someone that you could maybe flip they could uh, offer him maybe a little bit more money than some other teams and some more playing time also because rose just isn't, is not gonna be able to play that much but yeah i mean it's, it's not a great free agent market yeah the center position too now that drummond is gone that uh, maybe the, they could find you know your tristan thompson or uh mason plumley that type of guy um yeah you know demarcus cousins might be an interesting one there depending on what happens with christian wood
2: yeah reclamation see, project get,
1: get a little more offense on the floor yeah see see, allow, give him they would have enough touches for him to try to really rebuild his career but yeah, you know, I, I mean i i see suspect that Cousins is about done as a high-level player with the two uh, I mean those two just career killing injuries that he's had let's move on to Indiana here
2: let's start with this question from uh, 9540 Steph what are possible options for Indiana to trade for upgrades and try to get to the conference finals in the next three seasons I will say that if this you know because we haven't really gotten to see their main lineup together you know because because of the time Victor Oladipo was working back to 100% Brogdon's been dealing with injuries as well so I I think there's a distinct chance that the some of the best versions of the Pacers aren't really that different from the current. It might even be pretty similar to it. Like Depot and, and Malcolm Brogdon, I think they're a good combination. I like TJ Warren. I like his fit with this team. And you could theoretically, you know, like to me, the, the, the logjam that might create it against really good teams is whether you want to move one of Turner and Sabonis and go in a more modern direction. Ideally, probably get a wing for one of those two guys because the guard positions are spoken for. But I mean... It, it is going to be hard to get to a conference finals when you look at the Celtics and the Raptors and the Sixers and all these other capable teams that are in the mix. But we, we haven't gotten to see this Pacers team fully together.
1: Yeah, it really it comes from internal improvement. And in particular, Oladipo, we gave you that list of the best players in the Eastern conference. If Oladipo gets in contention, which you, if you, if you plugged 17, 18, Victor Oladipo in right now, he would be a, a, on that list to up with some of the players that we mentioned as top 10 guys, uh, you know, in or top five guys in the eastern conference so that does change this team and they've got a, a lot of depth uh, as well i mean certainly just in a general sense i've advocated for trading sabonis because he's an all-star and you know maybe you could get something really good for him but uh and i I worry about the combination with turner ultimately but this is one where i think we'll have a lot more information hopefully uh after orlando has concluded
2: from nba is best four can tj mcconnell and aaron holiday play? together i don't really love the fit of those two guys Uh, they mcconnell really is at his best when he has the ball in his hands and he's not amazing with it but you know he can be he's more of a to me a gap filler than anything else and playing him next to holiday you have two kind of smaller guards i don't think that you're getting you're not getting a lot on the defensive end and i don't think holiday is such a great off ball player that it it works can it (laughs) fine if you want to do it on second unit doesn't matter doesn't matter that much but I think you could do better
1: well and I also think that when you have both Brogdon and Oladipo it would make some sense to split those guys up a little bit and to play either uh, and McConnell I think part of the reason why McConnell has worked is because you know he's not playing with Brogdon or Oladipo so you can put the ball in his hands and he does he he has especially in the regular season he brings energy he pushes the ball he gets the ball up floor he continues to probe he gives you good offensive pace in the half court I think they can play together yeah but but i'd prefer that uh, certainly not in the playoffs you know you're just going to get mauled because of the defensive concerns you talked about and the limitations that mcconnell has both on the ball as a score and then off the ball is just someone who can't shoot to save his life from three-point range so i i mean i think if you just need to steal some minutes for it yes should that be the way they're building their team with the idea that those guys are going to play together on the second unit no uh big sulja asks uh, about the miami heat what do you think the heat see in k see Akpala. And uh, this is Adam Simon actually uh, talked about him a little bit. He spent a lot of time in two Falls. He had that groin issue, I believe it was, early in the season. So we really saw, you know, I i, I think he probably played like 50 minutes or something. I mean, I, I remember turning on a heat game where they were, uh, it was the end of a blowout and I saw a guy wearing an unfamiliar number. I'm like, who is that guy? I really, I'd never seen Akpala on the floor before because he, he wasn't really around even in the preseason when I was watching them. So uh what Simon said about him is that his shot still needs to come along. I think that's actually helping guys improve their shots is something that the Heat don't get enough credit for as an organization. Um, but that he is that he has made good strides defensively. So that's really what it is. I mean, he's they drafted a number thirty-two. They made that trade for him. But I think it's just he has the physical tools to be a good defender. And if they can turn him into enough of a shooter, then they have a player.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think he's like six foot eight, has a pretty good wingspan, moves well, like, you know, physically, laterally, forward, backward. And there aren't that many guys who can do that. So if you can work on the other elements, get his motor running well and and can kinda kind of fit find an offensive role that makes the most sense with him. Like there, the it's again, there aren't that many people who have that building blocks that he does. And so if Miami can through their system make enough of a player around that then absolutely i could see that um from s ordonias other than Giannis, what is the path for the heat to become title contenders within the next two to three years it's tough i mean so we could expand it beyond Giannis to like the other best player in a contender caliber guys because you know Kawhi yeah. and. A bunch. I, I,
1: I mean yeah there's Kawhi. there's paul george in in the summer of 21 there's anthony davis this summer which uh, is remote but they and, could and possibly next summer
2: too depending on yeah. what he does
1: yeah no uh, that, that's a that's a reasonable point um so yeah get the the uh deus ex machina in free agency i mean that's the, the number one thing that comes to mind
2: it is because their current core with modest additions i don't think gets them particularly close especially with jimmy butler aging so you know thinking more about the 21 yeah. 22 season is the inflection point because that's the year bam is restricted and then will be properly paid and that vaporizes a lot of their space i mean bam taking a big step if that can help solidify their defense but then i think they need a real go-to offensive player that could be a scorer could be a creator and those are incredibly hard to come by especially when the Heat are good enough that it's not like they're going to get that player th- or a, a premium enough draft pick to convert into that player so they're going to have to do it through free agency and also the Heat in terms of young players that could theoretically be traded they're actually pretty asset poor at the moment remember Robinson and Nunn, those guys are non-guaranteed but will be picked up and then theoretically will be properly paid or close to it in 21 and then outside of that you know Derek jones is a free agent tyler hero i think they want to keep so and they have some they have outstanding draft picks too so yeah
1: i I mean i'd say compared to most good teams they've got more assets than many i mean duncan duncan robinson nun hero and that's that's a pretty decent war chest
2: yeah i guess it's it's not bad but they also don't have a lot of matching salary i think that's the other thing i was kind of concerned
1: yeah yeah they've got a leg and iguodala yeah i mean that's uh um i I mean i guess this is a To continue to answer that question, uh, this is one from uh, Dominic Chiapo2. Should the Heat uh, go after Bradley Beal or put all their eggs in the Giannis basket? And, you know, unclear whether Beal is available. It seems everyone on both sides seems to say that he's not. His agent recently said, hey, he signed the extension because he wants to be there. He said that he was uh, very happy kind of being the number one option. And, you know, I mean, was he second in the league in scoring or something? But, like, averaging, like, three a game for the season. I mean, it's pretty... even i mean this is something to note even if you're losing especially if you've never done it before it's pretty fun to go out there and see the ball go through the basket for 30 points every night whether you're winning or not yeah so and and he seems to enjoy that so but but anyway i mean yeah i mean beal and butler that's not a bad combination to me um
2: and bam can solidify bam i mean
1: that's I think that's a a solid backup plan and maybe there'll be some clarity on Giannis if he takes the designated player veteran extension uh that they could go in that direction you mentioned the matching salary yeah you know they could get if they trade Iguodala and Olenek they could get pretty close there so maybe you could trade for Beal and then you would still have the free agent space to try to bring someone in in the summer of 21 so it doesn't necessarily have to be Beal means you're punting on that 21 free agency
2: yeah maybe you can't get a Giannis but you could get somebody who would make a big difference
1: Uh, Last question here. Uh, What's the next progression that Bam needs to make a jump to the next level of superstar? And it really would have to be creating offense because as a passer, as a defender, I mean, he can get incrementally better uh, as a a finisher at the rim. He can get incrementally better, but even if he does that, he's still not gonna be just like an absolute top end superstar. He really would need to be more as a creator, and, and that's that's just uh, you, you know a creator of offense, not not just as a passer, but really someone you throw the ball to to create the initial opening, and that would be tougher. I mean, he is young, but he doesn't really hasn't really shown those type of moves necessarily. Um, you know, the other thing he might do is you know, if he could stretch his jump shot out to three, and then yeah, maybe he's not creating, but he's just so versatile at that point uh he does everything well other than just create his own one-on-one offense but it it does seem really i mean those are hard hard things to do so uh I mean, my prediction would be that he's going to be, you know, a lower end all-star in the Eastern Conference for a long time, but the skills he would need to add to move beyond that are, are very difficult to acquire.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point. Let's move on to the Bucks. I want to nip this one in the bud quickly from uh, Flandernas. Is, is that is that a pun? No, it is not. Uh, sh- basically, should Giannis be quote-unquote ineligible for next season's MVP if he fails to get the Bucks out of the East and as a similarly dominant season? No, the MVP is a regular season award. It is for the most valuable player player in the regular season if he is the most valuable player in the regular season he should win most valuable player and the bucks not making it out of the east is completely immaterial to that question
1: yeah now practically there could be kind of a backlash yeah you know, and, maybe and, and and you know it always depends who the other candidates are and who knows maybe he gets even better in the regular season next year and they think that that's the year and uh or maybe they just suffer massive injuries and that's why they can't make it out or you know i mean if he if he averages 35 a game on efficient great efficiency and they just have to lose and it's not his fault you know no no one was saying after 2009 that lebron james should be ineligible for the mvp in 2010 and in fact he won it because he was awesome in that series and they didn't lose because of him when they lost to the magic so no i mean i but i i do understand the sentiment and i think that a lot of voters would experience Giannis fatigue if that were to happen uh but Yeah, so uh, let's see here. Why can't the Bucks manage to beat the Suns? They're one and three in their last four meetings. Um, I can't say that I was inspired to go back and actually watch those games. I don't recall having watched those games personally you know they don't have a great matchup for booker but i'm not even sure that booker has necessarily been the one to kill them uh, i mean my biggest guess would probably just be bad luck and letdowns over the course of a season
2: yeah so they, they beat him once this year and lost to them the other time and Giannis didn't play in the loss that was and they played i think they, it was, that was the front end of a back-to-back against the nuggets so yeah i mean it happens um random chance all that type of all, all that type of fun stuff um this one's kind of interesting from uh Riga and, and Inferential. What would be the worst case but plausible scenario for the Bucs in terms of their three matchups before the NBA Finals? So basically, like, what is the worst way the East could break? I think in the first round it would be what they currently have, which is the Orlando Magic. I think they're the best team of the three potential eight seeds. Second round, ah, uh, you know, I actually I think
1: maybe it could be Washington nah. just because d- of their three point shooting ability.
2: I, I don't know. I think we we also like, don't-
1: the, like the Magic have no chance of scoring against the Buck, and Jonathan Isaac is
2: yeah, but the Wizards the wizards are the worst defensive team in the league so i would be concerned about that as well like yeah
1: but i like that's one where they at least and the magic are also a really bad three point shooting team true. um so no i i think uh the magic might be the easiest uh, well no the I nets
2: mean, are the easiest high not playing
1: yeah maybe i mean the like nets take a lot of threes also though um i mean it, i think the median outcome against the magic might be better but the threat to actually lose would be higher with the the nets and with the wizards but i don't know why we're even spending yeah. that much time let's move on to the next so the second <laughs> the round
2: second round i think i'd probably go philly you could make an argument for miami um because and you could theoretically those yeah. teams
1: miami has played the bucks well this they year.
2: have both those both those teams have i mean but philly the top end talent there i think that's and they have a lot of heft so when Giannis drives in they can go after and having Horford as another option there is really valuable Horford has done a good job on Giannis in the past and then the third round in the conference finals you can make to me an argument for either the Raptors or the Celtics, but I will go with the Raptors because we got into this a little bit in the Boston section. I just think the defensive problems for Boston, like they ha- like happened last year, those are really hard to solve. And the Raptors are a worse team than they were last year. It's not really even an apples to apples comparison, but I think they can get enough offensively and they yeah. still have a lot of great defenders.
1: Yeah. And the, there's some institutional knowledge there as well. And the Raptors can at least bomb some threes. I mean, God, if they, if they couldn't get anything at the room last year against the the bucks i mean they're really not going to this year i don't think and i think the would really struggle in that series you know maybe it's i mean boston is a was going to cause a lot more offense problems we talked about walker i don't know that the bucks have a great matchup for tatum if he's really going to go off uh i mean they've struggled with him as far back as 17 18 when those teams matched up in the playoffs yeah that that would be it'd be crazy to see those teams play each other for a third consecutive year at boston and milwaukee with basically just Completely different cast of characters each year yeah um so yeah I, i'm really torn between toronto or milwaukee clearly i think toronto might have the most ability in the whole league to cause problems for them defensively right but i just I I, it's hard for me to see how they would score i think i think the the celtics would just uh, have a little bit more ability there and you know nurse is a great coach steven's a great coach and i don't see there's a huge difference in the in the coaching but uh the, again both those teams have kind of the institutional knowledge of going up against the Bucks. Right, let's do one more here Uh, that's our last bucks question
2: i'm debating whether to do the narrative question um yeah fine uh for 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 the w pod if the bucks win the championship will the small ball strategy be uh, relegated to scrappy non-contenders again like it always was before the warriors no no it is a it is a viable path to victory but you can you can win a lot of different ways and i think that's one of the beautiful things about the nba and well
1: i I mean i'll put i'll put it this way like to win with that small ball you gotta have a lot of talent yes at those small and now I, i i think that's a little bit of a miss or because miami did it playing small as well with chris bosch at the time i mean that was considered playing small but you know you've got lebron james and dwayne wade and chris bosch and so you've got so much talent and now you're spreading the floor and letting those guys go to work and then you yeah you might be small but you've got a ton of athleticism at those positions so no i mean and, and i think for example like would you consider playing Giannis at center going small
2: I think it kind of depends on who's playing the four. But yeah, I, I mean, if it's certainly Marvin offensively,
1: Williams, the, like your biggest guy, your center is the guy who's handling the ball the most in Giannis.
2: Well, and I mean, um, we don't even know what configuration the Clippers are going to be in. The Clippers might theoretically make the NBA Finals with a closing lineup that doesn't have a traditional center. I think we'll see Doc play one most often, but we could see some with Jermichael Green at the five, depending on how things go.
1: Yeah, Not I mean, my probably. belief is... My belief is is that if you really have the talent to do it, playing small is better. Uh, But it's just the question of whether you can amalgamate that type of talent altogether. Ah, the sweet sound of
0: sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love,
1: all at once. Starting at $40 a month, experience it all live with Sling. Sling okay the new york knickerbockers next on the clock here
2: uh let's start with a question from longtime friend of the show uh daco carter who would you prefer to coach my his knicks uh tibbs or kenny atkinson do you have any sleeper candidates challenge for sleeper candidates for me is just that i don't know enough like kevin arnovitz writes that piece every year i i I tweeted out about a week ago with assistant coaches often that are highly regarded and holdover coaches so i just don't know enough you know like chris finch has had a good reputation at various moments there are a lot of a lot of names in there that you can they consider and then if they end up getting jobs but if i were to choose between tom thibodeau and kenny atkinson i would choose kenny atkinson pretty definitively there was all this buzz people might remember it about when after tibbs had the had the year sabbatical between the bulls and quest job to be named that he was learning from good coaches and was going to be different and i didn't really see wrinkles in minnesota that showed me he has really grown as a coach and the league has changed a lot since since he was at his best so i think atkinson is more in line with where things are going
1: yeah i'd agree with that Uh particularly his record developing players with the Nets. That's what he was supposed to do. That's why they hired him because he was a big development guy at Hawks University back in the day. And now he is uh, has... A bunch of guys developing with the Nets on his watch as well and that's uh, more of what the Knicks need I think bringing in Tibbs that somewhat augurs that they're going to try to short circuit the process get a lot better and probably fail at that
2: well and something else with Atkinson a way that you and I try to calibrate the quality of a coach is how do they defend relative to the quality of their personnel and I thought that Atkinson's Nets teams consistently outperformed their personnel defensively and so that's a good calibrator of whether the scheme is good whether players are listening and and Brooklyn a big part of what they did well on both ends of the floor was especially forcing opponents quote-unquote into shots in the right locations and if they'd had better defenders I think they could have done a better job of making those shots difficult they might have been a little too zealous in it but I think that's largely the right way to go
1: yeah and Atkinson uh, has worked well with management he's been part of a a, an overall system uh, that can really help Develop players and you know tibbs usually has clash with management management maybe that won't happen with leon rose because of the caa but uh connection but that is uh what his record has been uh what else we got here
2: we'll do one from christian rogers uh I, we don't need to go too much into what we're still doing our draft work but prospects the knicks should target and the way i'm interpreting this is of the players that we've seen so far who do you think like fits particularly well if anybody with what the knicks need
1: Well, so much of that is a question of how much you believe in R.J. Barrett. To me, Barrett has not shown enough to be worth building around in that first year. Granted, it was a difficult situation for him. That's what some of the reporting has indicated that they are going to try to build around him more, but would have been nice if they could have just done that last year so they could have a little bit better idea of what they have in him. So I think it's just totally best player available for the Knicks if it's a point guard. That's uh, certainly something that uh, they should look at. I mean, the only thing I would say is, you know, if it's James Wiseman or Onyeko Okongwu, those guys as centers, they already have Mitchell Robinson as a center of the future. So I'd probably eschew those guys. But aside from that, I'd say probably anyone would really be on the table best player available um yeah, you know, i wouldn't be I, and i haven't looked enough at all of the players to say who i think the best of those is going to be yet but i uh, I do think uh, Anthony Edwards seems like a pretty terrible fit with RJ Barrett, if you are still trying to build around Barrett. So hopefully we'll look at some of the other top guys. Like We haven't looked at LaMelo yet. Hopefully we'll get to him soon. But hopefully we'll like him better than some of the other guys we've looked at already.
2: Uh, just one quickly from Ed. I know we're running long time. Uh, basically, I'll, I won't lay out the all the negatives that he talks about. But basically, the question is, how many years will it be until the Knicks win a playoff series? I think it's going to be a while because they as ed gets into in his in his intro if if the knicks try to go short term and you know try to be a little bit better i think that actually lengthens the amount of time until they win a playoff series because it it weakens their draft picks and those are going to be the centerpieces of it and unless they're good enough to attract high level free agents which i don't think is going to happen i think i think it's going to be a while longer i don't know how long but well i don't know i was gonna guess like six to eight years
1: to win a playoff series yeah i mean it could be like they've won one playoff series in the last 20 years
2: that's true and the larger structural <laughs> stuff isn't changing but it just i don't know it feels like at some point yeah you know they'll find it, water
1: yeah and, and it also does seem i mean hopefully they won't do the you know trade for carmelo anthony kind of shortcut i mean they do have some assets now they've got those dallas picks going
2: forward from the porzingis the Clippers trade pick too from them from the marcus Morris.
1: Track. yes that's right yes they've got three extra draft picks uh, in the coffers and maybe they would try to be better but i mean i especially with the recent controversy over James Dolan and the Knicks not issuing a Black Lives Matter statement. Uh, The fact that just uh, they are viewed as so bumbling, they had more egg on their face after the summer of 2019. So hard to imagine that it's going to be a big free agent destination at this point in time. Maybe that changes if the economy of the league gets so bad that James Dolan is then willing to spend more than everyone else. And maybe that could make a difference. But yeah, I mean... I think six to eight years would be my guess and maybe even more than that I mean if you think about it like James Dolan is the owner and I don't know that they're I mean, maybe this new regime will be better maybe that's a reason for hope but there's a reason they have won one playoff series in 20 years under Dolan and until James Dolan is out of there or really changes his stripes you would expect that sort of a rate to continue on
2: yeah let's go to the Orlando Magic I'm gonna start with this one from Jason Hishusis. Uh, what can the Magic hope to learn about the roster from a potential first-round series against the Bucks or Raptors? And what I'm most interested in, and this will tie in with another question we have, is the combination of Markel Fultz and Evan Fournier. Can they generate reliable offense? I mean, Fultz, you'll be relying on more in transition. Can 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 he really push it and be a difference maker against good teams that are caring, you know, that are playing really hard and trying to get back on defense? And then with Fournier, you know, like, does that combination work in the half court, too? And... For a potential free agent, has that player option one of the more interesting player option decisions in the entire league. So if they feel good about that, then maybe you try to run it back. And Fultz isn't a, a going to be on a new contract until after next season. But I think those players, especially with the front court kind of in flex with Isaac being hurt and everything else, that's where I'm looking for evaluation purposes.
1: I'm I'm very interested. I mean, Fultz now he made very good progress on his jump shot over the last summer he's basically has had another summer now to work on it hopefully uh, with this shutdown so maybe he can start to get better i'm not counting on that uh, but maybe that could unlock a a lot of his game perhaps that's uh something that we might see uh other than that i i mean i i guess there's not much more it looks like john isaac eh, may or may not play but more likely that he's not going to it sound like from jeff Waltman's comments I think it's just it's going to be tough because all of their players I mean this is why they're not going to win the series all of their players are just thrust into a role that's too big for them against either the Raptors or the Bucks, which are both great defenses where they're just not going to be able to score effectively and maybe you get a better idea of whether Aaron Gordon can guard either a Pascal Siakam or perhaps Giannis Antetokounmpo he's a little small there's kind of no one else to do it on this team maybe see if uh Mo Bamba is gonna just absolutely kill you. But it's just everyone on that team, especially offensively, is like two rungs higher in the pecking order than they should be on a decent offense. That it's really tough to learn a lot. Um, I mean I think we'll just learn that they needed an offensive focal point, which Is not news to anybody.
2: Right, let's let's go to the question from from Ed. After finally seeing close to a full season of relative health, what does Marco fultz project to be moving forward? I think of fultz as a capable defender, maybe not a dominant one, but if you consider how awful he was at Washington, though it always kind of seemed like he could get better, he had the physical tools to be fine there. Uh he could do that, and then I like him as a transition force, you know, can initiate, score for himself, can find guys pretty well. I'm what I'm worried about, and this is there was a weird parallel here with Lonzo Ball um uh, is whether he can generate offense for himself and others in the half court and if he can't do that then you're asking a lot of somebody else because fultz you know he's gonna have to have a more reliable catch and shoot or somebody else is gonna have to dribble and there were some signs that maybe he can get there a little bit he looked better doing that than he had you know before his jump that since after his jump shot broke the first time so that's kind of where i am with him do you do
1: you agree my comparison for him right now is Dalon Wright, not a great shooter, can push in transition. Hopefully Fultz is getting better as a finisher. That's one thing where he, he struggled early in his NBA career, aside from obviously the jump shot stuff, and hopefully he can get his jump shot up. Uh, I mean, he, it's worse than Daylon Wright is right now. He's maybe a little bit better mid-ranger, but from three as an off-ball guy, he's probably worse than that. So, But he's a, a big guard, can play point guard, can push in transition effective cutter, maybe a little bit better a passer than right. But that's the type of player, you know, maybe switchable defensively uh, could be quality there. You know, it's kind of this the 25th to 35th best point guard in the NBA. That's uh, the path that I see him on right now.
2: Yeah, I, I pulled up Fultz's stats on Synergy, and this this is one that stands out in terms of the idea that I said of, well, well what if he can't be the on-ball guy in half court? He took 87 catch and shoot shots this season and scored 66 points on them. That's real bad. Most okay. of those unguarded. Yeah. Sorry.
1: Yeah. No. No. Uh, I was. <laughs> I was going to move on here to Philly. Let's uh, start with Dan Nosowitz front of the program
2: uh please talk about shake milton in the starting lineup for the entire podcast um basically like talking but, but so i i think what this gets into is the idea of theoretically replacing al horford with shake milton i like having more ball handling there it is still shocking to me that the horford experiment has worked so poorly there are a lot of reasons why you know like he's a smart defender he can be a hub for for offense and so i mean a change-up seemed necessary i don't know if milton is perfect but he was doing well right before the stoppage I'm not as
1: as into it. I mean, yeah, he did have a, some of those big games uh, on their West Coast swing when they had all those injuries, and it is nice to have someone who can shoot, but he's not quite as good defensively. I still am of the hopeful belief that a lot of Horford's struggles were related to just not quite being healthy. Possible, yeah and that maybe he still could look better with Embiid. I think if you're going back into training camp now as Brett Braun, I might try to use this reset to see, because I still think the actualized version of the Sixers has Al Horford in a bigger role and especially this against some of the best teams like milwaukee for example to just have that kind of size to be this absolute defensive juggernaut starting Jake milton makes things a lot easier maybe but i don't think it has the highest ceiling now if you come into camp and al horford still just doesn't look like the player that they signed him to be then yeah go ahead and put milton in there but i i would still try to give one more shot at least to the idea that maybe you can have this ultra big defensive juggernaut lineup um, if Al Horford uh, can get it together and you know maybe Al would close games maybe he doesn't start games Um, you know they're still going to use him a lot off the bench but the hope is that Embiid is going to play close to 40 minutes a game in these playoffs and that's not going to leave a lot of time for Al Horford unless he can play with Joel Embiid.
2: Question from Troy McKissock. Uh, he hasn't liked any of the major moves the Sixers have made since Elton Brand took over. Uh, what would you say is has been his best move? There are a couple that I, I've liked. One, even though they got squeezed a little bit on it, identifying Matisse Theibel as a player in the lower end of the first round that they valued and giving up something for him. He's looked better than a lot of the guys in that area. So, hey, even if you even if you have to give up a little something, identifying the right guy and getting him, that's important. Getting Glenn Robinson and Alec Burks basically for nothing because the Warriors were so desperate to avoid the tax yeah was, that was a really good move for That was sure. a really good move and yeah they've done a lot the margins also like Jimmy Butler leaving and getting
1: well, well how about uh how about just the Butler trade to get him I thought that was a good move
2: Yeah, totally reasonable but also like Jimmy Butler wanting to leave and getting Josh Richardson out of that deal I mean that and, and cap space which they used to get Horford the Horford signing hasn't worked out
1: yeah yet. I, I mean I still I, I don't know if I can put that in there because you can still make the argument that they've been better off keeping uh Butler and Redick rather than getting Horford and josh richardson
2: yeah that's fair totally fair
1: um but uh, i mean i think getting butler for covington and sharich sharich Clearly was overvalued at that point. If you look at where his career has gone since then, so I mean, you, I don't think that sharich would have been a starting player. So you're almost, you know, Robert Covington for Jimmy Butler. And yet, you know, you got to look at that in isolation. They didn't end up re-signing Butler, but uh they got close to beating the Raptors last year in large part due to Jimmy Butler. And they had the option to re-sign him. They just didn't take it. So I, I mean, that would be my number one move. Uh, five would probably be second and the burks robinson for essentially nothing would be third i mean the, the, nothing because those are really low round second round picks and they have so many second round picks that they probably didn't have room for those guys in their roster so that, that was a great great uh job to get two potential rotation guys for absolutely nothing it was very solid
2: so uh i'm get, try to get the name right um Mouse, 1986 basically at so you thought about the idea that ben simmons usage is really low for a lead ball handler but he does generate a lot of assists uh, why can't one envis- envision a Giannis-like Leaf if if Simmons' usage simply bumps up? Because how is that usage happening? The reason why Ben Simmons doesn't take a lot of shots is because Ben Simmons doesn't get a lot of opportunities to take shots. He this year took you know I, I'm just not that many. He didn't take that many shots outside of the restricted area. I'm pulling up the exact numbers right now. Yeah, so he took 90 jump shots the entire year. That is fewer attempts than his dunk attempts this season. So the way that I don't think he can get that many more dunk than he has already and and layups and all that so it's easy it seems like the growth of his usage would be jump shots and if Ben Simmons could make jump shots then yeah that'd be great but I don't think there's I don't think there's that much more juice left in this for him to squeeze in the restricted area offense part he's gotten better in
1: that area as a finisher shooting with his left hand which he used to not really be able to do at all around the basket so uh, that's gotten better. And you could make the argument that when Embiid has been out, when Horford is starting in center and they've got a lot of space, like you go back to that game at Indiana before the hiatus, uh, which was one of his best games where both by giving him the ball more and giving him space to work with without Embiid, that he could ramp up the usage some but I do think he is limited because he's not the physical freak that Giannis is he's yeah. just not he's not going to overwhelm nearly anyone who's on him physically with spacing around him you know there are players who can guard him whereas uh, with Giannis that is much much more difficult to find the those type of players, so yeah, I think he could be more of a centerpiece. I would love to see what it would look like if he really were the centerpiece, and you know the Giannis model that Milwaukee has pioneered with spacing around Giannis. I think you know there are some valid comparisons there, but it's just that Simmons is not the score that Giannis and Acuipo is. uh It's just. It, he's not the physically dominating player he's not the finisher that Giannis is
2: are there any more of these sixers questions that are speaking to you or do you want to move on to the wraps
1: um would the sixers rather face the celtics or heat in a playoff series definitely the heat i'd say yeah Uh, the celtics to me just have more talent and i think that jimmy butler in particular is someone that the sixers have Pretty good matchups for.
2: Yeah, Jimmy Butler's offense this year would have a lot of natural kind of counters with the Sixers in terms of rim protection and man to man defenders.
1: Okay, we got two more teams here. Let's move to the Toronto Raptors.
2: Start with this one from D Miller. How do the Raptors keep flexibility for the 2021 offseason while retaining this year's free agents? If those players want multi year contracts, probably other than Fred Van Vliet, you can't. I mean, that that's the way this works. And the other way to do it would maybe be if you could retain some of the free agents on what would be deemed as Team Friendly Contracts. But that gets into really risky calculus because there are all sorts of reasons that even an ostensibly team-friendly contract can become something else. And that could be an injury or ineffectiveness. And we're going to have a lot of variability in all of this due to the COVID and and the hiatus and also just the salary structure being uncertain. So if the Raptors value having cap space or movable contracts in 2021, it probably means they don't bring everyone. Let's put some numbers on that.
1: As of right now, although this is with a probably way optimistic especially with the recent report that the Players Association is assuming there aren't going to be fans at all in 2021 which I at least early in that season I uh, agree with uh, given uh, everything that we know uh, about COVID and uh, the way it's moving in the U.S. uh, right now Uh, certainly you won't be able to do it in every NBA city I would think at that point But so with $121 million cap, they got 55 million in space. If it's more, I, you know, you could lop as much as 10 million off of that. Probably, um, they do have a Norman Powell player option. He might opt out of that for 11 million. And then you want to bring back family. He clearly is the priority as a 26 year old free agent over Gasol and Ibaka. And so you bring him back and that's probably going to be at least in the high teens. And so you're pretty, you're pretty up against it there. I mean, you might have to stretch Powell. You've also got a, a cap hold for OG Ananobi. That's pretty small. So they're not going to extend him most likely unless it's very team friendly. Uh, so you, don't, you it, that gets us back to, this is echoing your original point, but I want to put some numbers on it that basically if you take on hardly any money at all in new contracts going beyond the summer of 2021, you're going to start to impact your... Ability to bring back uh, or uh, bring in Giannis but you could always deal with that later you could make a trade to move on from someone like Powell or Ibaka or Gasol if you bring those guys back um, at some point leading up to that summer if in fact you think he still might be coming and of course there's the possibility he just signs the designated player veteran extension and then you're uh, you can just move forward uh, with this group and just try to keep being good
2: I'll do this one from Jake Munro. If the Raptors strike out on Giannis in 2021, are there any other avenues they could take that would bring them back to a championship level team? It is so hard to add a Kawhi level player, and they got exceedingly fortunate to do that in 2019 or 2018, sorry, with a without giving up premium assets and those types of you can't really assume that's going to go on and so yeah if they could get another player of that quality in the 21 offseason that isn't Giannis but I don't think that's going to happen and I think they could get into like the conference finals maybe make an NBA finals mix with internal improvement they have a great coach they have a lot of players that I really like but to to expect them to win a championship with one of their current players being their best player that's just it's too much improvement for me to expect
1: yeah i mean you'd really need to see siakam who has won most improved last year and is i think he was second on my ballot my fake ballot for this year you know if he continues that upward ascendance then maybe he gets to be a top five player and that's how you get there but i'm uh you know uh, we've been scheduled him improving before and been wrong so i'm not going to rule it out but it does seem relatively unlikely and you know maybe it's you could grab like a second tier free agent like Drew Holiday or something and, and try to just put together this defensive juggernaut that it could make one more run but their their bigs are going to be getting pretty old if it's Ibaka and Gasol at some point especially Gasol they're going to lose effectiveness so they're going to have to bring in some bigs as well it's uh it's going to be tough um But, I mean, hey, making the conference finals, uh, being the two seed, being the three seed every year with an awesome homegrown team, and that's not the end of the world. Uh, Uh, 25 NBA teams would love to be there.
2: I just want to do this briefly for Miles Apfel. Um, Basically, he asked what are the chances that Boston could jump Toronto for for the two seed. It's exceedingly unlikely. Boston is three games behind with eight to play. So even if Toronto goes 500, and they do, from what I recall, they do have a harder schedule. If they go 500, then Boston basically has to win out in order to get the two seed and i wouldn't expect that for anybody much less you know no home court advantage and everything else so i think toronto can feel pretty comfortable about that unless they just go like two and six or something like that but i i think i mean that sort of a margin would be incredible for a team to overcome
1: let's turn to Washington now this is a fun one uh brian palivi what do you predict bertan's contract to be i've already opined on this Uh, i'll refresh it in a in a second here uh Hollinger and I when we did our free agent preview we talked a lot about where we we saw his market being but uh I'll see to you since I don't know if you've actually got on record on this one yet
2: I haven't I I think Berton's so before everything you know COVID and everything like that happened I was thinking he might get something around 18 million a year which I think would be too much I think of him more as a backup than a starter but because of the adjustment there and I think the Wizards will still overpay him even with the financials potentially getting tighter so I'm gonna go 15 million a year for four years
1: yeah that I, that was right along the lines where i was i think it might be maybe a three-year deal i think a good analog for that is what the jazz offered to nikola miritich which was in the you know i think it was in the three years 50 range something like that It might have been three years 45 which he didn't end up taking but I think that those are, are relatively comparable players. Miritich is does a few more things than Bertans, but Bertans is a better shooter. And it is a bad free agent market this year. Uh, and the Wiz have also kind of painted themselves into a corner by not trading him. So yeah, I mean I think somewhere along the lines of fifty million guaranteed over three years would be my guess. You know, maybe it could get up to four years, sixty million instead of that. Um, but yeah, I mean I, I think in the forty-five to sixty million guaranteed uh range is what I'd be looking at.
2: Do this one from Michael Shangold. If the league brought back the amnesty clause, would the wizards what would the wizards look like after a wall amnesty? Could that jumpstart a beal trade? I don't think if if the amnesty clause existed, my expectation would be that the Wizards would would not use it in twenty twenty slash twenty one because they want to see what this team looks like. They want to get that piece of information, and then it would be potentially on the table for twenty one or twenty two. Because at that point, you know, while still making 44 million and 47 million per season, and Beal would be under contract at least for that first season. So maybe at that point, you look at it and just kind of clear the decks a little bit. They would only have Beal, Bryant, and bunch of other, and and kind of some middle salaries on their books, uh, and. I don't know, you know, see so the idea, this is sort of like the idea that I've said before about the wizard or not the the Wolves, theoretically, when they could have traded Andrew Wiggins is, I don't think you're going to be getting free agents anyway. So yeah, if Leonces wants to save money, he can do it. But I don't think it necessarily makes the team better because they don't really have players that are falling over themselves to get to DC.
1: Now, here's something else to consider as well. It's just so much cash still. Yes, If You're going to amnesty him, and the Wizards have always been a a relatively low revenue franchise, even though they it's not like they're in the tax.
2: If they had kept Otto Porter, like some of those other things, then maybe they use it, they would have used it more quickly. (laughs) But you know, like it's not saving the tax bill. And like, yeah, you brought this up the amnesty it saves it, opens up your capacity to spend money, but it doesn't save you money if it doesn't save you the tax bill.
1: Yeah, I mean, so they could have about $44 million in cap space in the summer of 2021. You know, th- 34 to $44 million depending on where the cap comes in for that year. And so, you know, are they going to be in contention for a max free agent? Maybe not. Now, in terms of the cash, it would get stretched out. There'd be two years left on the contract, so it would get stretched over five that's a that would be the actual payment so that might make it a little bit more palatable but you would still be looking at uh almost 20 million dollars a year just in cash being paid to john wall before you got to actually run a team um and also when you consider the lower cash flow due to the pandemic i I think that that may not be that great but I, i do agree with you danny that they would want to at least get a look at him first next season and see whether it might make more sense to just trade him uh, than just to to go for the straight up amnesty uh, or maybe see if they just you know if, i mean ted Leonsis loves making the playoffs so maybe they would just be the eighth seed for a couple of years and that would be worth paying him the 44 million
2: speaking of that from pops uh what do you expect of the 2020 21 wizards assuming john well comes back to at least 80 percent of what he was their defense still isn't going to be great they don't they don't really have the new they don't have the capacity there, but I do think that a largely healthy Wizards team would have enough on offense and be deep enough to be a playoff team in the Eastern Conference. Not one I would expect to win a series, but, you know, somewhere around the six, seven seed, probably, and get knocked out in five, six games in the first round. And okay.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, they could have one of the best offenses in the nba absolutely and as bad as wall was defensively before he got hurt he still at least does have some size he's still way better than the ish smith and isaiah thomas combination that they were trotting out there most of the way and also i think just the fact that they would be a little bit better could give you some more effort maybe they could sign a real defensive center on the cheap uh, who could give them more than thomas Bryant is so you know maybe they could at least get back to some kind of uh, some of the young guys will be better you know maybe they could get back to being you know not the worst defense of all time and instead you know like the 25th best defense in the nba and you know with john wall pushing the ball and setting up shooters you know they would have more shooting around wall than they ever had beal i thought you know offensively was really really good last year uh, if assuming they bring bertans back like yeah they so they absolutely would be in at least playoff contention
2: yeah i think they could finish above 500
1: uh, anything to talk about before we go here
2: yeah a couple things Um, my second off-season preview for the athletic of my solo ones on the Cavs that came out over the weekend so you can you can read that a team that we talked about in this obviously and also the collaborative offseason previews which are uh, at the athletic that's seth part now dave Dufour, and me and then some ch- chime-ins from san vicini when he's available those were doing all 30 teams as well and that launched with the warriors on the athletic on monday and we'll get we'll do two of those of the delete date per week and you can also listen to the podcast that did with seth on the uh unreal GM radio where we talked a little bit about that but we mostly talked about restarting the season and the pelicans we just got into a pelicans conversation for like 15 minutes
1: all right that'll do it for today thanks so much for listening and uh we'll be back later this week talk to y'all then at bet 365 we don't
0: do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play